Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madhvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madhvi, what's the topic this week? This week we are talking about miscarriages. Since a listener of ours reached out, her name is Joey, to say that she unfortunately had suffered her fourth miscarriage and she was super pissed that this was a topic that no one talked about, that wasn't acknowledged and that we had very, very little education about. So she wanted to talk to us and all our listeners about everything she had learned about pregnancy and miscarriage, which was a super, super generous offer from her and a really insightful conversation. I'm going to play you the interview in a minute. Another thing that came up basically after our mics were off, which I think is also really super interesting and useful information for everyone to have, is that in Germany, you cannot adopt after the age of 40 if you're a woman. If you're a man, of course, there's no cut-off date because sexism. So that's also something to bear in mind. And before I play the interview, I just wanted to say, if anyone else has a topic that they're really burning to talk about, that they're super into, that they're super informed about, and you want to share your knowledge, feel free to reach out, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from all our listeners. We respond to everyone and love interacting and listening to you. With that said, here's the interview. Enjoy. So this week we have a special guest. We have Joey here who wrote to us and wanted to talk about the subject of miscarriage because it's something that I guess we all don't know a lot about. In fact, we were talking about this yesterday, Rena, where we were saying in sex education at school, I don't remember learning anything about miscarriage. Like, I can't remember the first time this word came up. I remember it because I was listening to a podcast called You Can Sit With Us. I don't know if either of you have ever listened to it. And one of the women, it's four women who do it, her name's Ariel, was talking about how she recently suffered a miscarriage and she was having dinner with one of her best friends and she hadn't told anyone about it. And... At dinner, she brings it up to her friend, and her friend's like, oh my god, the same thing happened to me. And they have this entire conversation about it, and so she's talking on this podcast, she's like, why don't we talk about this? This is one of my closest friends in the entire world, and we were silent about this trauma we were both suffering. Why didn't we share this with one another? So... Yeah, it's a bit like Pandora's box, I feel like. You know, once you open it, you realize how many women have suffered a miscarriage or something, some sort of trauma related to pregnancy. It's just so much more common than people are led to believe. I mean, even if you do look into the statistics, they'll often say that it's like one in four women, one in five women, depending on the source. That also changes with age. I believe actually that those statistics even are wrong because there's also a lot of things that can happen that many women are not aware of. Even I myself didn't know. Like one of the fun facts that I learned is that a lot of times if you have a late period and you are having maybe unprotected sex or you're just not paying attention, that late period was quite probably a pregnancy that you miscarried. (laughs) Oh, wow. I mean, unless there's other factors going on, like maybe you're really stressed. I mean, of course, like, you know, late periods can be attributed to a lot of things. But I think that a lot of women don't realize that also a late 
late period can be a pregnancy or whatever. And it's because a lot of miscarriages go unnoticed. Like, you know, they happen in the fifth or sixth week is what they call a chemical pregnancy. So unless you were actually testing, like taking pregnancy tests, you would have no idea because it doesn't look any different either. It's it's either the same or maybe just slightly more blood than you normally get. And so the fact that this fact that most women don't know that is crazy. And it also obviously skews the statistics because you know, these aren't being reported. These are just things happening that people are completely unaware of. So I'm not even sure of the validity of this one in four. I think it's way more common than that. Also, just to touch on your point about sex education, I mean, to me, that's something that makes me so angry when I think back to it. I mean, I had sex education in the United States and in the the U.S., uh, you know, American school system. So I can't speak for what it's like in Europe or other continents. But Obviously, they really preach to us abstinence. Like that was always the biggest message was abstinence. And I've spoken with other peers and friends of mine who went to school at the same time as I did. And all of them say the same thing, that they were made to believe as a woman that basically if you just so much just like touched a penis, (laughs) you would get pregnant. You know, like if you had it anywhere near you, you'd be pregnant. As if it was just this like miraculous thing that would always happen. Never once was miscarriage, that word even mentioned, or fertility, or, you know, any of these concepts relating to having a child, you know, in in a a wanted way, let's put it this way, because basically what they they were doing, fear-mongering, they were trying to scare teenagers, right, not into having sex. I find that really unproductive, because actually, I think if you were given facts as a teenager it would have just set you up so much better for your your future, you know, in terms of your own fertility, whether you want even children or not, you know, it's not even a question of like, the child being the end game. It's also just about knowing your body and knowing your cycle. Because if you do look at studies, it is true that sadly, women are the most fertile in their teenage years. So it is true that you are the most likely if you have unprotected sex, that you will have an unexpected pregnancy in your teenage years, because that is when you're the most fertile and the body is producing the most hormones and favoring for that to happen. Even if they had told us that in school, be like, hey, look, you're at a really high risk of having an unwanted pregnancy in your teenage years. I feel like that would have been a more responsible information Mm -hmm. to give young women and actually would have given them maybe more both fear, but also agency over their body of what they should do and how they should protect themselves. Mm -hmm. But yeah, then as we know, your chances start to diminish into your 20s or 30s and then definitely into your 40s, like your, your chances become almost null. And so like none of that information was shared. And so it's like if you go through life and you have a career and you're concentrating on other things, or maybe you meet a partner later in life that you actually want to be the father of a child, all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you're like, how come no one told me these things? Like, how come nobody warned me how difficult, what an uphill battle this was going to be? It isn't reserved just to a few. It's it's so many women. It's like, again, when I speak to so many girlfriends of mine who are in the same age group, you know, I'm I just turned 41, but, you know, even friends who are over 35, because that's kind of the year that they say, like, over 35, that's when things go downhill. Almost all of them are struggling. Oh, and it can be, it can take on all different forms. It can be maybe they're just having a hard time getting pregnant. You know, maybe they have endometriosis. Maybe they're having miscarriages between children. I mean, that also is another unspoken thing. Like a woman will have a child and then she'll have a miscarriage and a child and a miscarriage. And there's just so many different scenarios of things that can happen that 
are not talked about. Mm. I mean, and this is what I find so shocking that something that most women might encounter some form of in their life. And yet there's so little research. There's so many discussions around it. And yeah, it just, it makes you feel angry. Yeah. Mm. That's the feeling I have now is more anger. (laughs) It's like the sadness has kind of gone away and been replaced by anger. And I, when I had my fourth miscarriage, when I came to in the hospital bed, because you have to undergo general anesthesia and yeah, I felt sadness, but then I felt like the first thing that came to mind was, I was like, I have to share my story in hopes that maybe some women who are 10, 15 years younger than me, they can better prepare themselves so they don't have to go through what I went through and learn things the hard way because it it can be avoided. We were reading this article in The Guardian. It's her story about having four miscarriages. It was such a roller coaster of a ride just to read. And we had some of the same kind of feelings when Reen and I were reading it. Like, for example, the fact that we were not able to see a baby real time in the womb until way after they put a man on the moon. It was in the 70s. Yeah, the first time ultrasound sort of came. And I bet ultrasound was not even made for women to do this purpose. Like, ultrasound was made for other purposes, right? And then also what was mind-blowing was the pictures of the womb we have and the baby in the womb, they're from a dude who did those in 1799 or something. It's incredible. So the amount of like just no knowledge there is and no research there is in this world is one thing. And then there's the other thing where like just people don't talk about their miscarriages. Yeah, I think the one thing that really stuck out to me about that article was how she mentions that there are so many different reasons that you can have a miscarriage but it's treated as a blanket subject matter, as if there would be only one reason, so they're not doing any research. And I think the other thing that kind of stood out was also this disregard for women's feelings, almost, because it was just like, well, you miscarriage, that's just a thing of nature, it's luck. Of women and women's bodies and women in general, I just looked at this kind of like black box of mystery, because men are like, well, you know, we just can't figure them out. And So then they're just like, oh yeah, it's just luck, and they don't even bother to try out the latest things. How was your experience with this medical? Yeah, I feel like when it comes to women's health, obviously research is always lagging. You know, there's always less importance put on women's health. And one of the things that also stood out to me in that article was that there's not really miscarriage specialists. There's fertility specialists, but not miscarriage specialists. And that alone is is just mind-boggling because, yeah, it was the same thing for me. It's like basically every time... They just say, oh, it's bad luck. First time I had a miscarriage was at 13 weeks. And that was the most upsetting because, you know, it's like your first pregnancy. And that's when you start projecting your future with a baby in Mm. it and like finding a name and like, you know, starting to like make your nest, like do all those things, you know, you you tell people to because you think like, oh, it's been 12 weeks or whatever. And when we went in to have the scan, and I think it was actually at week 14, that was when they told me there was no heartbeat. and. I literally felt like the floor opened up underneath me or something. Like, it was honestly one of the worst moments of my life. Like, the amount of grief and just shock. And, and even my husband had a delayed reaction. Like, he he wasn't even processing it quite yet. He was in the room and he, he was like, what? You know, it's almost like the doctor had to repeat and, and scan me again. He's like, are you sure? You know, because he just couldn't also process it. He was like, this is just yeah. too much. And... Yeah, I mean, the the devastation that I went through from that was was awful. I mean, the grief lasted for for many, many months. 
But yeah, when we would go into checks and stuff like that, they couldn't give any reason as to why, you know, and this is the case, I think at least 80% of the time Mm -hmm. that they don't know why you miscarried. It's not because of something you ate or didn't do or didn't eat. I mean, yeah, also, I think it's hilarious that for many years, I thought that the main reason for miscarriage was like a woman falling downstairs or like getting in a car accident or something, because that's how it's portrayed in movies in the media, probably by men. So, I mean, for many years, I thought that was like, oh, if you just had like some trauma, like a shock to the body or something like that, then mm. that's that's why that happens. And so I think it, that's why it was so shocking to me when it happened in our first pregnancy, because, oh, yes, I knew I was older, but everything was progressing along really well. Mm. I had like crazy morning sickness. All the previous scans were fine. So mm. it's like you're in this, you know, mm. bubble that like everything's fine. And then like the rug gets pulled out from under you and. And then it's just incredibly frustrating for someone to be like, oh, well, we don't know why. It's just, it must have just been genetic selection. The the fetus wasn't viable. And because, again, in society, most people don't know this, even women themselves, like, you tell people that you have a miscarriage, and the first thing they, they ask you is like, why? What did you do? Or what happened? And so you feel just this tremendous feeling of guilt all the time. Like you did something or your body is messed up or something's wrong with you or yeah, you ate something wrong or something or you exercise too hard or you start to go through this mental list of everything. Maybe you could have done better, a beauty product you should have used. But the thing is, it's actually just more down to genetics really at the end of the day. And then, as you said, it's like this black box where they just haven't really sort of cracked the code or bothered because and 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 that for me is like you have no closure in your grief or knowledge of what could be wrong or what could be fixed for next time if you're trying again and it's a lack of care for your emotions too it's just such a roller coaster i have a friend who actually wrote a whole memoir whole book about her miscarriage so quite like i know her story and wow her grief really she had one child so she was also really expecting that it would just go fine like it did and then it really didn't the grieving process lasted a long long time for her i think it was slightly later and i think she actually had to give birth Mm, as well yeah what happens when you it gets to a point if if the pregnancy is really far along and the baby is of a certain size Mm -hmm. that yeah you can't do the normal what they call a dnc i think it is like i can't remember what it stands for something kutaraj and that's yeah that's usually how they deal with miscarriages like in the first trimester or maybe even like partially into the second one or something but yeah that's a really traumatizing thing that basically the woman has to i think it's a stillbirth they have to give birth to it you know a dead baby basically and Fortunately, that's never happened to me, but I also know someone that went through that, and, and I, I just can't even imagine the trauma from that or whatever. I mean, that's just, it's it's a trauma, obviously, mentally and to the body to have to do something like that. And I mean, yeah, that's even something that's less spoken about. And I mean, and uh, <laughs> I mean, psychologically, I mean, that somebody, I mean, I think in all cases of miscarriage, like there needs to be more support because... Even myself, like when I had the first one, which was for me, yeah, it was the one that went furthest along and it was also the most traumatizing because it was the first, you know, when I went up for a follow-up visit and I I asked them if I could see a therapist or something or if there was a support group and they didn't have any answers for me. They were like, oh, just look online or something. (laughs) And 
I just find that shocking that I feel like it should be built into the process, like the gynecologist or, you know, the OBGYN should have a list on hand of recommendations of people that they work with that they should send you to by default almost, you know? Mm, And and so what happened is this was in November of 2020 and we went into lockdown and here I found myself, my, my husband and I, I mean, he was grieving too. And, you know, we're in complete isolation and lockdown with like no mental support, not being able to see friends and family. And I just felt so alone and isolated. And and it's just so hard to even describe that feeling to people who haven't been through it, you know, and, and it's like you want to speak to other people that, that have been through it, you know. So I feel like, yeah, like a circle or a support group would have been incredibly useful at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and I still to this day feel sad that I didn't get to have that because I think it really would have help the the grieving process because yeah you feel you feel so many things after that you like I mentioned you feel guilt you know you feel angry at your body you know you feel obviously tremendous sadness you're mourning this future that you thought you were going to have that now you're no longer going to have and then yeah your partner is also dealing with it in 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 their own way and so it's like this uh, like echo chamber of of grief you know it's just it's terrible Mm -hmm. so I mean I just don't understand I mean I again I don't know if this is maybe just a thing in Germany or if it's like this in other countries as well, maybe places like the UK or maybe in the US, they might give more support. I don't know. but No, the answer, the Guardian article in the, was set actually in the UK and there are not many resources. NHS doesn't have them right now, especially after COVID, so probably not. I was also looking at maternity leave policies because it occurred to me that if you've had a miscarriage, you probably would like some time off. Mm. And none of these maternity leave policies. I think there was something the UK gives you like two weeks after a miscarriage, but I couldn't find anything for Germany. A miscarriage leave. Yeah, I've never even heard of that. I mean, now that you say that, because I'm self-employed, so it wasn't a concern for me, but that's true. I mean, I had I had like a, a full-time job and it wasn't COVID and I had to go into an office, I, I don't know how I would have dealt with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, yeah, you, you are in like a state of sort of trauma or whatever, but... Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, for me, the Western world has such a weird relationship with death and grief. I already lived through that because I had a very close loved one who passed away from cancer a few years ago and, and was also had a tremendous amount of grief relating to that. And it was just so strange to me, like, people's reaction and, like, the fact that so little room was given for grieving so already this is just normal so to speak someone passing away but then like add that layer of miscarriage I mean or anything to do with pregnancy and it becomes even more complicated because for me I guess the thing that also angers me the most is this narrative around childbirth and pregnancy because I feel like there's one narrative you know it's the narrative that we're told as children that we see on tv that we read in books where couple meets happy couple Woman gets pregnant like that. Pregnancy is all la-di-da. Cut to her screaming in the hospital. Poof, here comes the baby. Baby's 100% healthy or whatever. No afterbirth. Right. No postpartum uh, issues. Everything is fine. And so if anything deviates from that narrative, it's not spoken about. And I think that what really needs to shift is that miscarriage or complications during pregnancy need to become also part of the narrative about childbirth. Because childbirth is not just producing a baby at the end, or pregnancy is not just about that. Pregnancy includes all these other things. Like, there's so much part of it that they need to be in that same story. 
And I think if that happens, it would really shift the way that we deal with miscarriages, the research around it, things like you're saying, like policy. It's like being pregnant can either A, end in in having a child, or it can B, end up having a miscarriage. And so why shouldn't a woman be less excused from taking time off for that reason? It feels very unfair at the end of the day. You were saying that you felt really angry because of all the things you know now that nobody ever taught you before what are some of the things that you know now that everyone to know about miscarriage first of all women whether they want to have a child or not or if they're unsure you know i mean especially in this day and age people are delaying it further and further i think the first thing is to really know your cycle that is like something that you can do for yourself that if you really know your cycle and how it works and if it's regular, irregular, but there's even patterns even in irregularity, you know, and we have so many tools these days. As soon as you can, if you start observing and knowing your body and knowing your cycle, then you'll notice that when things are happening and how to avoid them. Because I mean, I think, yeah, one of the, the biggest things is it's not so easy to get pregnant. It's not as easy as they say. You have a very small target window. And actually, the fertilization can only occur within 24 hours. So basically, in the medical nutshell, right, like you kind of have this window of fertility of a week and you need to have the most sex if you want to get pregnant during that week. Or if you don't want to get pregnant, don't have any sex or have protected sex during that week. So that's what I'm saying, like, observe your cycle. So whatever the outcome you want it to be, you can know that, like, this is the sweet spot. This is that week that I need to have a lot of sex or not if I want to be pregnant or not. Because then the sperm can live in the body for several days. And Mm -hmm. so if there's enough sperm swimming around in that 24-hour specific window, then the egg will get fertilized. So unlike sex education made us believe, you can't get pregnant during your period. You can't get like pregnant when you're not ovulating. If you look at the internet nowadays, there are even like... If you start with, can you get pregnant? And then there are people, can you get pregnant by going to the toilet or sharing a toilet with a man? Or can you get pregnant if you go to a public swimming pool? That's the level of misinformation or no information. And the the craziest thing is, I honestly, I didn't learn this until I started when I wanted to become pregnant. And nor did my husband. I mean, we had no idea. So men, even more than women, you know, they're very scared often, right? That they're going to get a woman pregnant accidentally. And so... They really operate under the belief for the most part that like at any time of day, any any time that they can get a woman pregnant. And he was also shocked that it was so small, actually, the time period that you could. I think if you, yeah, if you know your cycle and you know when is the risk zone or whatever, you know, that already is is a huge help. I think also, yeah, I mean, it is despite the fact that women are having children at an older and older age, there are just biological realities. I mean I think one of the things that also annoys me since I am 41 is that a lot of people will try to cheer you up and they'll be like, but there's all these women having children over 40 or whatever. You'll be fine. Every woman's body is different. Every woman's fertility is different. We're like snowflakes, right? And you, <laughs> it, just because one woman, you know, who was 40 something had a child doesn't mean that you can. It depends on a lot of different factors. And also when you look at the statistics of that, I think it's only like 2% of children are born to women over 40. So it's actually not as common as people think. And a lot of it is through a tremendous amount of assisted reproduction using IVF or other methods and things like that, which are extremely costly. Mm -hmm. 
And then also, I, even that, I think, is not spoken about that much. So maybe a woman who did finally give birth at 41, she might have had, yeah, a lot of miscarriages. She might have had tons of cycles of IVF. I mean, there's a whole background that went on in order to enable her to have a child. So, I mean, you know, to say like, oh, it's fine. You're that age. You'll have kids. Because the sad thing that I read also is that once you turn 44, your chances are almost like null. And I know it's not like an exact thing. It's true, your eggs, they they age too. So even if you have like a good supply of eggs, which is my case, they're like starting to get past their expiration date, right? Like I think the cutest way if you want to put it basically is like we have our eggs are the freshest when we're younger and then they start to like slowly expire once you get older. That's why less and less of them are genetically viable because it's basically what happens in a miscarriage, the unexplained, you know, with science that they won't look into is that your body is basically triaging what it thinks will be a successful pregnancy or not. It's like, "Mm, there's like maybe some broken DNA in here or something bad. This is why I'm going to terminate. So your body's smart too. So, I mean, this is why I think I've learned to feel less guilt around it, actually, because Mm. I realized that, okay, maybe my body is doing me a service, you know, like even as horrible as it is, it's actually being like, okay, this wouldn't have been a healthy child. So this is why I'm, I'm ending it. And then also another thing too is the male side, because that also doesn't get spoken about enough. And so there's also this myth that prevails that like, oh, men can have children at any age. Like, sure, maybe their biological clock goes on a little bit longer than ours, but that's also not true. Like men's sperm also ages and also becomes less like active or like also can genetically age and yep. be also not like be as great of a match with your egg things like that so same thing like men also like after 35 40 their sperm is also not as like fresh <laughs> as it used to be you know and, and so if you combine if you have a couple where like maybe the man is 45 47 the woman's 40 then sadly the chances are very very low so yeah you need to also look out and and also, I mean, like men, men need also take care of their bodies as well. Like we tell women, we give them this like barrage of stuff that we have to do to prepare for conceiving and then to staying pregnant and all this stuff, like things we can and cannot eat and we cannot, cannot exercise and like hormones. And, but I mean, actually men, sometimes it's as simple as their health. We had an episode on fatherhood and I don't think a lot of men know this. No, I mean, yeah, my husband, because... <laughs> Hopefully you won't be angry at me sharing this. (laughs) Obviously, like he went in to test his sperm, like also fertility testing, you know, because they do, once you do start having, if you're over a certain age and maybe you've tried for a certain amount of period, that's usually when they start to like really poke around and and try to see what's going on. So one of the things is obviously to look at the the man's sperm and sperm count. And he went in for a test and they told him that it was very low and that he actually had a low probability of impregnating a woman. It was very upsetting, but then we realized that maybe it had to do with stress because like he was in a very stressful job at the time. He wasn't like sleeping enough. I mean, he's very, he eats well, he's physically fit, but it's like a whole package. It's not just like you need to do this thing and this thing, like not smoke or something. You need to not do all of that. You know, you need to take care of your body. And then, he, yeah, he made some lifestyle choices where now he, he tries to sleep more, tries to work more regular hours and everything. And he had another test like a year later and completely different results. Wow. And yeah, I mean, they said that, that he was totally in the normal range of, uh, of quantity and quality or whatever. So obviously 
it's not fair also to put all the burden on the woman because no. men can do a lot too. We were also talking about this when Rena and I were, were talking about this article and the miscarriage and Rena was mentioning, yeah, like, you know, in the old days, if you failed to produce an heir, uh, if you were a queen or something, it was always the woman's fault. It was her responsibility and her burden and it was also her guilt that she didn't produce a son to carry on the line. And now we know, of course, that whether it's a boy or a girl comes actually from the sperm. So we should have been blaming the men for this all this time. And it, it just reminded us exactly of the situation that like, you know, you said you were asked, oh, what did you do? Or what happened? Or why are you asked that solely? I mean, why are you asked that at all? That should be the question. But yeah, no also, one asked my husband that. Yeah. Yeah. Not a single time of all these, every time it happened, no one ever asked him that question. Yeah. Burden just, is just yours. Yeah. <sighs> and honestly, like after he changed his a bit of his lifestyle to, to make it more healthy, that had the most significant impact on my ability to get pregnant. Because again, mm-hmm. like actually I got pregnant, I think three times in six months or something like that. So I mean, and, and that was, that's like a huge difference because of choices he made. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously I was being careful. I'm always careful, you know, of like course. what I'm consuming and doing and things like that. But to me, that's, you know, as a woman, we're kind of used to that, like mm-hmm. making certain sacrifices and stuff like that. It just shows that how much of an impact it can have what the man chooses to do. And also just being relaxed. I mean, one time I spoke to a friend, he has three children and I was like, what's your secret? And he's like, all three of my children were conceived during a vacation. <laughs> so <laughs> like stress is a is a, mm. a big factor in that. Yeah. I mean, I really think that men need to also be, if they're considering fatherhood or whatever, I mean, there's certain things that they should also know or whatever. And, and the same thing, they also learn the hard way they learn through their partner. And that's just not normal to me. So it's more women doing emotional labor for men. Yeah. Not even emotional labor, just doing labor for men, teaching them things. Yeah. Well, we don't talk about anything relating to women's health, really. Like we did an episode on menopause and perimenopause and all this stuff where it's like, Oh yeah, we were not taught subject. this. Yeah, we were nothing. We were not taught this. Anything. Literally, the only aspect of women's health that we were taught in school was your period, because that is the most useful to society, right? The ability to have children, and even then, it was so minimal and so narrow and limited in what they teach you. And then after that, it's like women's health doesn't exist. You have one purpose, and that's it. Well, yeah, because also women who after they go through menopause, they kind of disappear. Yeah, from society. Not- Obviously not from their own choice, but because society basically doesn't consider them womanly anymore because, yeah, they've they've passed their prime and their duty of uh, a lot of the other feelings you have, too, is that like I know consciously that these are ideas have been put in my head by society. But you feel like if you want to have a child, let's put it this way, like if, if that's your desire you feel really useless, like if you're not able to produce one. I know it's so stupid because it's just this like patriarchal notion that's been created, but you can't help but feel it sometimes on a subconscious level. Like you're like, why can't I do this thing that like every woman is supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Like you just feel like you have just like some major shortcoming or that you're like mm-hmm. half a woman as a mm-hmm. result of that. And it's just terrible that we that we grow up with with that feeling. Yeah. And how is your feeling now? Because you're saying a lack of stress is kind of good, but then you've had such a an emotional journey till now. Are you really stressed and worried about getting pregnant? Are you still trying? Yeah, we're still trying, but I, I've kind of given it like a time limit because just psychologically and physically, I don't know how many more times I can go through it. It's just so hard. I mean, 
Also, the sad reality is, is that after you have that first miscarriage, you're, you're never the same again. Like you, every time you get pregnant afterwards, you're already sort of operating under the belief that it's not going to come to term. Mm. Like that sort of naive joy, you know, that you feel when you first get pregnant, you know, like, again, like the cliche and the narrative that you see of all the women like announcing to their families, like, I'm pregnant, you know, like, that all goes away. Like you feel like you can't allow yourself to feel that you can't allow yourself to get attached, you know, because you're just protecting your yourself and your heart, basically, right? Like you don't, you don't want to have to go through that grief again of like creating this future that you're then going to have to mourn. And and I know, I've, like, I've read a lot of other stories of other women, and I know that I'm not alone in this. This is a very common thing that just sadly, you kind of lose that joy. Yeah, so like, basically, after that first miscarriage, several months went by, and then I had what I described earlier to chemical pregnancies. So they were at very early stages, like five, six weeks. So they were able to just happen on their own. And it was obviously devastating each time, but I didn't feel the same level of sadness, obviously, with the first one, also because that one was way further along. And I like had seen a picture of my baby, I'd heard a heartbeat. It was like a whole other mental situation, right? This is still abstract. Uh, it's just an mm-hmm. embryo. The, this fourth one that happened like right before Christmas, that one made it to eight weeks. But because again, I was already aware that this could happen or whatever, I was way more paranoid of you. You do funny things like peeing on a stick. I think they even said like the POS women or something. There's some like like expression for it because basically you're like you have uh, you're peeing on a pregnancy stick every day, every morning to see if you're still pregnant because you're just like so paranoid because you know your your hormone levels are basically they'll always still be at a certain level if you're still supposedly pregnant. But even that's a little that's a false hope because actually even after you miscarry, especially if you silently miscarry, you can still show a positive pregnancy for a good two, three weeks afterwards, because the hormones are still in your body. And I was like obsessively peeing on a stick. And I was like going into the gynecologist like every week. And already they were like, "Eh, it's not developing as fast as we we think it should be. And then finally, yeah, like at week eight, they're like, yeah, this is not a a normal. I hate how they even use that word. It's not a normal pregnancy. Like, (laughs) like, why do you even use that word? Right. And so my options were either to miscarry at home with medication or to get an operation. So at first, you know, they said they had to do it with medication, blah, blah, blah. And I just remember, yeah, in the first pregnancy, when I had to also have an operation, they give you this medication that's, I think it's the same stuff that they give pregnant women who are actually having a baby to induce, basically, to like give Mm. birth. So it's like kind of forcing Mm. out, you know, like giving you contractions and trying to like force out what's in your uterus, right? And the first time I had that, it was so incredibly painful. It was, it was Mm. awful. It's like I had this like weird glimpse into what childbirth would feel like, but without the joy of the child at the end, you know, like you're all of a sudden you have contractions that are like increasing in frequency and like distance apart. And, you know, I was in so much pain and like we, we finally made it to the clinic and then I had the operation. And meanwhile, like my husband was freaking out, you know, because, you know, there was also a tremendous amount mm. of blood. I mean, he almost passed out. I mean, it was really intense. I mean, and that was another thing that I wish people had warned me about that miscarriage is actually really scary and messy if it's at like a later mm. stage, like if it's beyond that chemical pregnancy time where it just becomes like a, a period. But like after, yeah, if you progress beyond the seventh to eight week, it becomes a whole thing, you know, mm. where it, it's like 
first of all, often you don't know. So you often have like a silent miscarriage. It's not also that cliche of like, you know, all of a sudden like a woman goes into the toilet and she's like, there's a lot of blood, I miscarried. Like that might happen in some cases, but a lot of times you just don't know. And so then it actually, it takes your body a little bit longer to finally accept it and be like, okay, now it's time. And so because of that first experience I had, which was like really traumatizing, I started looking online at like, you know, like how painful is miscarriage just like naturally? Like if I don't take anything, because I was like, I don't want to take this this medication again. And it was so sad because I came across so many forums where like, I think somebody asked the question, like, what's more painful, miscarriage or childbirth? And almost all the women said miscarriage because they said that at least with childbirth, you can sort of negotiate with the pain. You can like relativize it, you know, because you have this like happy thing that's waiting for you at the end. Whereas with miscarriage, it's just more sadness that's Mm -hmm. waiting for you at the end. And so all it just feels like is a bunch of pain. And the sensations are actually quite similar Mm -hmm. because you are having like, yeah, these contractions in your body is like basically giving birth to the contents of your uterus. I mean, to be Mm -hmm. a bit graphic, like that's what's happening. It's it's like rejecting the amniotic fluids, like the sac and all that stuff. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, when I read this, like in the fact that, yeah, it's really traumatizing because you see all the blood coming out of you, like you, you know, I was like, I cannot deal with that, like psychologically, like I cannot miscarry at home naturally or with the medication. Like I was completely freaking out. I was like, I just can't go through this again. And so I went to see the doctor at the beginning of the week and I was like, I, I, I would rather have a surgery. And she was like, well, that's very personal. But she's like, I completely understand if that's something you prefer, then that's completely normal and fine as well. Fortunately, the second time went a bit better. I didn't, you know, they, the clinic I went to took really good care of me. It's like a special operation clinic just for gynecology. And that was eye-opening in itself as well because they gave me like you know a list of things I had to bring because you you have to stay there like they kept me there I think for six or seven hours like they keep you for observation which is good Mm -hmm. so you have to come early in the morning and they ask you to like bring sheets and and uh you know like a special kind of like pajama and top and warm socks like they give you this whole checklist right of things and so you have your little bag and uh when my husband and I got there in the morning it was like a line of women all with their bag, like lining up like a factory, basically. And they were all in the same situation as me. Like, just, and I, I was like, how is it that there's so many women silently going through this? And this is just one day. And this is all they do at this center. And it's like, and we don't talk about this? Like, how is, I mean, he was shocked too. He was like, I can't believe that this is so common. And yeah, so they bring you in and basically they think they give you, yes, some sort of medication again to to help like soften your cervix and stuff like that. And then you go under general anesthesia for, it's really short. I think it's like 15 minutes. And so then they basically clean out your uterus and then, yeah, you come to afterwards. And, and the other sad thing is I was sharing a room with another woman. I think she was probably about 10 years younger than me and she was just slightly after me. So like, you know, I'm like lying in bed, you know, I'd already woken up and dealing with my emotions and then they bring her in and she wakes up and she was like sobbing for a good 20 minutes. And it was just so heartbreaking. Like I was just like, I don't know. It's just really like all of a sudden when you're in these situations and you realize like that so many women are suffering and going through these things, it just, that's what makes you angrier. You're like, I, I don't understand like why, like this is just, you know, like, why do we have to go through this? Why isn't there more research? Like, why isn't this more talked about? You know, mm-hmm. it just, yeah. I mean, and th- because this concerns like everyone and this is such like a, a like such a human 
thing, right? This is not just some random wish of like very few humans on the planet like this. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that would be the other information that I would impart on women is that miscarriage is tough. Like it's not also it's not just the mental grief around it. It's the process itself is it's a it's a physical trauma, you know? It's like However you choose to do it, whether you do it at home, if you're brave enough to do it at home, or if you take medication, or if you go in for the surgery, like, it, it definitely takes a toll on you, you know, again, your me mental and your physical health, like, every time. It is a surgery. It is, you know, yeah. something major being done to your body, so. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. That's the one thing, because I asked a friend of mine who actually wrote this memoir, what is the thing that you would like to talk about or what is the thing that stands out most and she was just like the silence once you have a miscarriage you realize that so many people have had one why until this point is there total silence about it and i think maybe this tradition in society in general not talking about pregnancy until the 12 week thing and i guess a lot of miscarriages happen just before this 12 week yeah, thing so maybe risk. so if you guess i have if you haven't said that you're pregnant then you can't also well you can but you know it's harder to say that you've miscarriage when you haven't even told anyone that you're pregnant in the first place you know it's harder to then at this point try to talk about it i mean the funny thing is is that if, if you do start talking to other women who you know are like you know had kids or trying to conceive you all of a sudden realize how common it is. Like, I actually haven't really encountered anybody who hasn't. This mm. is the this is the the strange irony, like, and again, why I think these statistics are wrong. Because I think mm. even a friend of mine recently who had two kids, perfect, like, no issues, she just miscarried now or whatever. That's what I'm saying. It can happen at any stage, like, when you least expect it. It's not like there's also, like, a one-size-fits-all, like, you're going to, you know, miscarry in your first time. Like, it could be on your second or third time. You, you don't know. But I find that actually talking about it is incredibly helpful, and that's why I've kind of made it my... <laughs> mission or whatever this time since it's happened so many times now or whatever that I'm completely transparent about it even if it feels uncomfortable to me sometimes I try to like almost force myself to tell somebody like this is what I went through this this is what happened to me or whatever and uh and to men and women too like I don't feel like this should be a conversation just reserved to mm. women you know because men need to, as I was saying they need to be aware as well so I feel like by just, even just me on my tiny level, just trying to break the silence and not hide behind it, I think is already going to maybe help just make it something that can be more out in the open. And it also, I mean, I know it's like silly or whatever, but even like for me, it was a big deal when Meghan Markle told that, said that she uh, had a miscarriage. I think it was the summer before last or something like that. It was massive. Yeah, I mean. She's got a massive platform. It was just the principle that somebody like that from this, like, you know, who's obviously operating in this very uptight, traditional kind of universe, even though she herself might not be. But, you know, the fact that she came out and said this, it really meant a lot. Like, it was, it was around, it was not that long after that I, I had my first miscarriage. And so I realized how important that dialogue and representation mm. was, you know, that, that just by somebody else like that saying that was incredibly helpful. So, but also I think that just talking about it like on a personal level with friends I think that has a really big impact because then you're giving you're breaking that silence and then your friends will feel more comfortable talking about it with their friends and then it sort of has kind of a domino effect hopefully and we can start up a conversation between everyone about yeah breaking the silence 
And again, like what people could like, for example, the advice that I give to my younger friends now, you know, if they're in their late 20s or early 30s, freeze your eggs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, whether you're even sure or not, like if you have even just the slightest inkling, like you're like, maybe one day, like you don't even have to have a partner, it doesn't matter. But if you're like, maybe one day, maybe I'll want children, do it. It's worth it. You you go through that process already, you know, because it's actually similar to IVF. They're basically, you know, I mean, it's not enjoyable, right? They're you have to pump yourself full of hormones and then cultivate a bunch of eggs and then they freeze them or whatever. But those eggs are going to be fresh, right? They're going to be like, you know, good eggs or whatever, good strong eggs. And it doesn't, you know, 100% guarantee that you'll have a perfect pregnancy or, you know, a baby in the end. But it definitely increases your odds tremendously if that's something you desire. So that's why I say to people, yeah, if they, if they even just have the slightest hope, then do that for yourself. I wish I had. That could be one of us. We we always end the episode on three things you can do today to kind of be a better person. And I think that could be definitely number one is freeze your eggs if you are thinking of having children. Yeah, I mean, if I was, yeah, the two other things was like I mentioned, I think uh, know your cycle. I think that's like brings to you so much power as a woman to know your cycle. And I think you learn a lot about yourself anyway, even just beyond, you know, wanting to get pregnant or whatever. Like you, you can really... Thanks to these amazing apps now, you can really target the days when maybe you're more productive or not, or, you know, you're going to feel crappy and you don't want to go out and see people. Like, you can really learn so much about yourself as a woman by observing your cycle. <laughs> what would be the third thing? I think just, yeah, be open. Yeah. I think you'll be surprised that the more you start talking to other people, the more you'll realize that you're not alone. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing your story and everything you know, your knowledge. Yeah, thank Um, you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com We would love to hear from you.